0: Another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's well, good, Nitin?
1: What's up, man? We we skipped last week, but it was all because we wanted to record on the night that NBA Twitter and the, the broader sphere seems to be in peril and might be going all down tonight. So we are recording this as I can't even tell if I refresh my feed, if anything's going to show up
0: again by the time we're done. It is doomsday on Twitter right now. It's actually making me really sad. I, I didn't I, I forgot how much I used like, Twitter such a reflexive thing for me where I just open the app immediately every I don't know how many minutes. And it's it's looking the situation's looking grim. The way people
1: are sending their goodbye notes, the way that they're retweeting like funny ass tweets from like 2011 before anyone knew how to use the app like I'm almost I'm very confused because it's 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 basically in such a doomsday scenario that it's all snuck up on me, and it looks like tonight might be the last night our logins work. I think it's now seven out of eight employees are gone or will be gone yep. after the yep. after that sort of what was it the uh, kind of um, you know mandate mandate that was impo- installed by musk. And I think today was like the deadline and seventy five percent of the people of the non fifty percent that were already fired two weeks ago. Said that said, told
0: him to to beat it. So here we are. But I don't know. Like, you know, you know why it feels crazy. It, it's because usually yeah. social media platforms just fade into irrelevance, right? Whether it's Facebook or MySpace. But this one such has such a clear cut potential ending that it's it's sad. And it feels like despite what you
1: thought of Musk's ownership of Twitter, it's been talked about more, Uh, you know, the platform itself is being talked about more than it ever has been in the last few weeks. And now we're going to go from literally 60 back to zero. Like that doesn't sit right with me, especially being NBA fans. I don't know. There's any one particular topic that benefits more from Twitter than basketball and the NBA and the fact that we've all been able to basically watch every meaningful game together for the last
0: 10 years. Yeah. I mean, where does that shift now? Where does that discourse shift We're going to? back to real GM. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm over there on Reddit, so I'm you know I'm, I'm happy. I've, Reddit is a
1: trash. There. I mean, Reddit is fine, but like the conversation and the way the threads are all linked and everything, it's very confusing and hard to keep track. It
0: doesn't flow as smoothly as Twitter does. I that, think that's yeah, you have to click into different threads. Twitter, it's all happening simultaneously. I get it.
1: Yeah. But maybe this maybe this is all a ruse and that's actually not going to be the case. We'll see, but right now I'm telling you if you if you log on, people are doing like farewell notes. It, yeah, it's it's full of
0: that right now. So but, we'll
1: All right, let's get to the actual NBA season which um I don't know how you would describe it. I mean, it's very it's been a lot of fun. It's been very unpredictable thus far. I think in a lot of ways like there is Always a little bit of discomfort when the teams we thought were going to be good aren't and the teams that were upstarts are because in some ways you just are like, I want to see the Lakers, Nets, Warriors, whatever. I want them to dominate. They have all the famous players. On the other hand, you know that the reckoning might end up coming where the Kings and the Jazz and the Wizards and, you know, all these the Blazers, all these teams that are overachieving are going to come back down to earth. But before we get back to whatever that future version looks like, we thought we'd do something fun today, which is. You know, go through who are our biggest surprises on the plus side and disappointments on the negative side. So there have been a lot of each. I think a lot of players have stood out for both good and bad reasons. Um, so we're going to start with the surprises. You know, good news first kind of podcast that we are. Who is your biggest surprise of the season, and what has stood out to you about his performance thus far?
0: Okay, before before we get into the surprises and disappointments, <laughs> let me do my victory lap, man. The Kings just had one of the biggest victories in our franchise in the last 10 years on Tuesday night on primetime TV over the Nets. You got to at least give me the floor to talk about I that. I thought I was going to tee you up with your very win. first.
1: Yeah, I was going to tee you up. I thought your very first pick was going to be De'Aaron
0: Fox and we'd be off and running. But yeah, let's talk Kings first it briefly. Is, it because- is Kings related. But I, I just want to say I just want to say that that was one of the happiest moments as a basketball fan I've had in the last 10 years, 15 years. And I have never been that giddy and just excited seeing them dominate on national TV, seeing Chuck and Kenny and all of them talking about the Kings, all the love. And it's, it's the reason we watch sports, man. It's for those little moments. Now, of course, they're going to fall flat tonight against San Antonio. They may still suck this season. But literally that moment, I've been waiting for a moment like that where everything is just positive vibes. Everything's trending up. And um, it was incredible. and it's it's the reason we stay fans of these shitty teams. As a wizards fan, you you know, you can sympathize with that. Um, but it was it was a big night for Sacramento Man. You can meme it all you want. It's a Tuesday night in November. They're seven and six. Who cares? But it was it was awesome. I just feel like,
1: uh, I just feel like you guys put up what? 153 points, right? Mm-hmm. Is that a franchise, not a franchise record, because I'm sure some of those early Kings, not just the 2000s, but back in the 80s. I'm sure 93, I think they dropped 154. Yeah. So 153 points. It was Kevin Durant. You know, that game was such an ass beating. It prompted him to give those absurd quotes to Mark Spears or Chris Haynes or whoever it was right after the game. where he's was like, my, my, my starting lineup is trash. Like, what do you expect me to be doing here? Uh, which I thought was harsh, but fair, you know it's kind of one of those things where I was like, yeah, I mean, reasonably speaking, that is a terrible lineup and you got absolutely boat raced by the Kings. Um, and look, Sacramento, man, I feel like Mike Brown, I, I saw something that was like, this is the first head coaching job he's had that doesn't involve Kobe or LeBron. Um, right. Cause he did the Cavs and he was the Lakers. And then in the meantime, he was also the Warriors assistant coach. So Steph and KD and clay and all those guys. And so he took a step down as far as like established talent. I think, they're playing a really fun brand of basketball. We got on Fox early uh, on this podcast, even early in this season because they weren't closing games well, but they were playing really well, um, you know, for that first three and a half quarters. Now they're starting to figure it out. You know, Keegan Murray is a guy that I'm so fascinated by in terms of what he's going to be in the NBA, because he's basically, you know, he's slumped a little bit recently, but he's basically been good from day one, uh, walking into the gym in summer league in Vegas. And, Fox, this is this his all star turn? We shall see. He's been right there numbers wise for the last couple seasons. And is he finally going to get the do? If they're a five hundred team, I think you have to be, you know, he's definitely going to be in your top fifteen and he's going to be in a lot of people's top twelve.
0: It's a crowded race. And um, but I'm I'm just happy for Fox, man, because sometimes at this point in your career, six year six, I think it is for him, um, you wonder if things are ever gonna change, right? Like at a certain point you are who you are. And I think yeah. he's shown so far that he has gotten better on, on defense. He has gotten better as a shooter. Um, he's gotten better as a leader, and we hope this this continues throughout the rest of the season. So overall, great story. Uh it's early. Things can fall off the wheels. We've started hot before. We have we've actually started seven and five three times in the sixteen year playoff drought. One with Mike Malone, one with Jaeger, and then one with Eric Musselman, like right after the Golden Era Kings. Um
1: So So what does that mean, though? What does that mean if it's if it's you've seen this movie before, you've had good teams or what you thought were good teams? You know, even the cousins era where he's an all star talent, like what makes this more sustainable than years past?
0: It's because there's a foundation, there's a culture, you know, you can get to seven and five with smoke and mirrors. We've seen this time and time again. Um, There's something foundational here in terms of the culture, the way they play. They're not fluke victories. And even in the losses, they've got a lot of positive things to show.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: I mean, the West is still really good, so maybe they still don't make it. But at least the bones are there for a really good or a competitive team moving forward.
1: And we we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it's also like, is the West as good as we thought, right? You're seeing chinks in the armor across the board where there's these don, dominant teams that, are suddenly looking a little bit more vulnerable than you would have thought, whether that's, you know, Denver's been uneven, they've they've sort of righted the ship, but they've they've been uneven. Obviously, Golden State, who we're gonna get into in this podcast, LA, both LA's, right? Minnesota. Um, so who's actually gonna step up? Um, even if it's like, look, you're not probably gonna be in contention for home court advantage, but if you're trying to get, let's even say like the eight seed, I mean, that's right there for the taking. Well, we want a six.
0: We want to be firmly
1: in the playoffs. All right. Let's it. So roll it that's back the goal. just a tad here. All right.
0: Anyways, what that, are you that's, right my, now? that's my rant.
1: You're, you're eight right now after all this hullabaloo. So
0: yeah,
1: we're basically talking about staying in that position and hoping none of the teams below you jump you, which includes the defending champion Warriors. Yeah. And the Clippers. Sure. And we have Utah ahead of us. Yeah. We have teams Utah. ahead of us that may
0: fall too, so. We'll see.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Utah's on a three-game losing streak, and that's probably going to come back down to earth a little bit. But all right, let's get into this, though. Who is your number one, uh, or you don't even have to rank, but the first name you want to mention is the biggest surprises of the season.
0: Well, I'll stay on theme. Uh, It's Kevin Herter. So it's not Fox. Um, Kevin Herter, you know, he's shooting a blistering 53% from three. That's going to come down, sure. But – what has been great about him is he's become a reliable third scorer behind Fox and Sabonis.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I think what we saw in Atlanta the last couple of years is he was really a spot-up shooter for the most part. Um, something like, you know, 54% of his possessions were catch and shoot uh, in Atlanta. And I think what he's turned into now is is more of a... Uh, there's a lot more motion involved in this offense where he's, he's actually playing like... With the two man game with Sabonis, really well navigating DHOs, getting open. He leads the league in frequency of those like handoffs, dribble handoffs, and also points scored off of those. So that's like the Mm -hmm. bread and butter of the Kings offense. And he's actually been good as a defender and a playmaker. Two aspects to his game that I didn't think I wasn't really aware of. Um, because of his size at six seven, he's not an amazing defender, but he can, there's some switchability. He can hold his own against guards because he's at least got the length and frame. Um, and I, I just think he's been a really solid player. And he reminds me a lot of, it's blasphemous, right? But Clay in the sense that the way he moves, the way he shoots. Um, the <laughs> you way guys he are 7-6 for the record, it's... not
1: 12-1. But... <laughs>
0: um, you know, so I don't know. Kevin Herter, I think, has been a pleasant surprise. And we got him for nothing pretty much. No, so I was, just a, I was
1: just about to say the, the trade comp and then the salary, the, the contract that he's on, which is just, this is the first year of that contract. It is a steal. Um, I mean, you look, the kind of player you want at that salary number is like basically the best version of that is Kevin Herter, right? Because he can shoot. He's like obviously a great off-ball player because he's such a good catch-and-shoot player, but he can also create a little bit. Like you don't see that, you didn't see it as much in Atlanta because uh Trey is on ball basically like every moment that he's on the court but Herter has got a little bit of nice like bounce to his game, a little bit of creativity and they're letting him kind of flourish in that role and I think the reason why you wouldn't start a player like Monk and you go with Herder is because the defensive like, you know, Herter's A, a better passer and then B, he's better defensively and so it's like you're not going to really sacrifice anything and if he's going to shoot like this, even if it comes down a little bit, he's a career 39% so it's like he's always going to be a great option next to Fox who is shooting the ball well, but we know is probably a little bit more inconsistent on that front. I think this is a big time acquisition and what you want is like this low usage kind of high efficiency player to sit next to a ball dominant point guard and like your point forward slash center in Sabona. So big time pickup. I thought it was really under the radar and, and honestly, like, I'm surprised when you looked at what Atlanta did. I'm surprised people don't go do this with John Collins too. Like if, I don't know if you looked at John Collins and like the numbers he's putting up. He barely gets the ball. Like to yeah. me, these are just these are assets that are undervalued because Atlanta just doesn't have mouths. They don't have, they have too many mouths to feed. You can go get these guys, put them in a bigger role like Herder in Sacramento, and and get the benefit of probably a lower purchase, you know, a lower trade price than you otherwise would would expect.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I think that's my first one. Who do you got?
1: So my first surprise, um, there's a lot of options on here. Um, I'm, I am have a bunch of guys who are probably projected to be all-star, borderline all-star, but you started fairly nondescript. So let me go Desmond Bain, who is going to, as of this point, make the all-star team. But I just – I'm amazed by this guy's progression, right? Like we're talking – his third year in the league, he's up to 25 a game, 5-5. Five and five. Like, he's showing dynamism not just as a scorer. His catch-and-shoot numbers are fucking insane. But as a playmaker, obviously he's a stout defender. You know, the shooting splits are crazy, 47, 45, 91. Like, turning into a true, true second star that I don't think anybody had that impression of the, of, of him. Even during his step-up last year, he's somehow taken it to another level where he's a bonafide, like, jaws out triple j is out like he can carry an offense and he can carry memphis i'm blown away by this dude honestly like i just didn't think he had it in him his body type seems very rigid it's almost like you know it's almost like dk metcalf where they're like this guy can't play in the nfl because he can't cut and it's like oh, actually his incredible like athleticism is just gonna like punk people left and right that's how i feel about desmond bain and the shooting is just it's been it's been nuts i think he's having one of the best catch-and-shoot seasons ever right now. Um, total stud, and again, second straight year of a leap that makes people think he could win most improved. That is, how do you how do you put a price on that? That's insane. He's looking at a max deal very, very soon.
0: Yeah, I, I actually had Desmond Bain second on my list too. Um, what you just said there, that is the most fascinating thing. When you go from, you know, what he was, from nine points a game to 18 to another leap, that is rare. The two-level leap. And it's the ceiling that you talked about. The he scored over 34 times this season already. And so he's giving you that scoring punch. Even if Ja has an off night, you have another guard who is reliable to carry you from a scoring perspective. Um, and I think, you know, just the passing has gotten a lot better too. Uh, he's he's becoming more of a part of that offense. He does a lot of catch and shoot, but he is part involved in the way that offense works. And uh, it's you have a, a backcourt for the Memphis Grizzlies might be the best in the league, right? Like who else you're talking about? I, I think Mitchell and Garland. Yeah. You're talking about who else? It I might mean, be the
1: best. Yeah. Like I, I would certainly put Moran and Bain at the top of that list, maybe hard and maxi when they're healthy. Um,
0: yeah, that's fair.
1: You know, but I still take Ja and Bain over those two for sure. Um, Jeez, now I'm trying to think like Booker and Paul, but Paul's falling off.
0: Paul's right? falling like, off. Yeah, he's yeah. not the same. Booker's a Fox stud. And Paul's.
1: <laughs> I mean, Monty Morris and Bradley Beal. <laughs> they actually might be a bottom four backcourt in the NBA, but you know. Anyway, um... take Beal
0: out of that; they already rise a couple spots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just Monty Morris is. It's funny because all these, and I'm not gonna put him on my list, nor spend a lot of time with him. But it's like it's funny because all these reports, are like, yeah, it's been harder for Morris now that he doesn't play next to Jokic, just trying to orchestrate an offense. It's like, huh? <laughs> no kidding. Uh, the, the the best passing big of all time was a two time MVP. It was harder now that you're not with him. Like, I just don't understand the logic there. Um, but that's
0: what we got to deal with in Washington. But nonetheless, all right. Next up for you. So I had Desmond Bain. But I'll, I'll go okay. to my next next player. Um, Laurie Markinen. Yep. Uh, it's an obvious one. I just think it's worth talking Mar- about, though. Markinen has always showed promise. Uh, and I think it's universally agreed he had a good season in Cleveland last year. I mean, good. I think the way they used him in Cleveland was essentially as a, um, a shooting guard. It was weird. He, I mean, he's a big, but they had him out on the perimeter. Um, A lot of catch and shoot. I mean, just to give you perspective, 48% or sorry, 36% of his field goals last year were in the paint in the 10-foot range. That's jumped up to 48%. He's become a more of a three-level scorer. He's scoring uh, across the board. His efficiency has increased. And I think because he's playing down low a little bit more, he's also upped his rebounding. That's been a big weakness for him given his size. Mm -hmm. Eight boards. He's even averaging a block a game, which is a career high. Um, And so I think, you know, he's shooting really efficiently. He's becoming a more multifaceted scorer. And we can talk about Utah and the fact that ultimately, like you mentioned, they're already on a slide. Who knows what will end at the end of the season? But I think what we saw from him in Chicago, the limited time in Cleveland, this is a player much better that I think we gave him credit for. And I want to recognize him for that because he really is a a versatile piece. And I think it's a great trade asset now for Utah if they decide to part with him. But they may not. I don't know if if Danny Ainge thinks they can build around him as one of the building blocks. But if they do trade him, he becomes really valuable for a lot of teams. Well, he's only 25, which is
1: surprising because it feels like he's been in our life for a while. This is his third team. Uh, you remember he was part of the Jimmy Butler trade. That's how long he's been in the league. He was part of the Butler trade that went from Chicago to Minnesota along with Zach Levine um, or vice versa, sorry, Minnesota to Chicago and yeah, man, I don't even think it's that we're not giving him credit. I think he's just turned into a way, way better player in today's day and age than he was in those years. I thought, like you said, the, the role was kind of odd. They used him as the three. They were kind of like giving up a lot defensively with him on the wing, but all of it to be covered up sort of with, uh, with Allen and Mobley. And the reality is like, you don't find players of his size that have his shooting and scoring ability too often it's starting to become a little bit more common in the league. But I think that's always been with him no matter what, like he can get buckets. I thought he was incredible. Uh, you know, I got that ESPN plus subscription this, this summer for Euro league or EuroBasket. He was amazing um, in Eurobasket. And I think that has carried forward, like it has for guys like Luka, like it has for obviously Giannis and some other dudes um, who played really, really well and ha- had that continuity. And the Jazz are just letting him cook, man. Like, Will Hardy is, he's been somewhat of a revelation. It's just they have, they average like over 30 assists a game. They're playing with, pace and movement and nobody's no one guy is taking a bunch of shots or holding the ball a lot, a lot right even jordan clarkson who's famous for that is not doing that this He's year so in. yeah i'm really interested to see because like i said they're on three game losing streak and it's kind of like all right they're probably not going to finish number you know they're not going to get home court in the in the west in round one i think we can be pretty certain about that so the question becomes do they pull the trigger on anything because the last thing they want to do is slip to like nine or 10 and then get sent home in the play-in uh and not lose enough for victor not win enough to really have a set core so i'm very interested to see what they do and also like a guy like marketing who had to be thrown in to the mitchell deal on top of Sexton, on top of all those picks he can recoup picks back as well so they get the double dip right they get to basically benefit on both ends which is shrewd management i think h certainly could do that when he wants to
0: and you know it it, realistically they could decide to keep a lot of these pieces just because they already have that war chest of picks. It's not like this is a team because they give up Gobert, because they give up Mitchell. They've got that draft capital. Now, of course they could use more. They could tank for Victor. I get all those arguments, but there's an argument to be made that maybe Danny Ainge wants to keep this core together because there are young pieces, right? Some of them, obviously not, you know, maybe the Clarksons of the world, obviously Conley or those guys are old, but um, he could be a critical piece for them moving forward. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, all right, my next guy, we cannot do this segment without mention of Shea Gilgis Alexander, who has been absolutely fucking legendary. Um, here's a stat for you to start us off with this Shea conversation. He is on pace to be the first player since Michael Jordan to average 30 points a game with under three three-point attempts per game even for example Joel Embiid was doing that right so last year so you're talking about a guy who is a total throwback player and like if you haven't watched a ton of OKC that would be very uh, you know what that would be pretty uh, understandable right so i got a chance to watch him a couple times including last night when he hit a game winner, game winner. just heart stake through the heart against the wizards he was getting everywhere on the floor he controlled the entire game. He had the ball in the yo-yo. Like, it was mesmerizing because he never moves fast, and yet he's in the paint on every play. And it isn't like an Anthony Edwards, like John ja Morant, uh, you know, even taking it back, Dwayne Wade-type athleticism that's giving him paint, the guys who usually live in the lane. He's almost like a supersized version of Tony Parker in a way, right? Because Tony Parker used to be like a league leader in paint points, if you remember, And he would never – obviously, he's not a huge guy. He's not a big athlete. Shea is much bigger than Parker. But, like, it's the similar kind of just the movement is very deliberate. It's crafty. Uh, He's got amazing finishing angles. You know, he's improved as a shooter. He's not really a knockdown three-point shooter. But, like, the mid-range is there. Uh, You know, you're shooting 40% from deep this year. But, like I said, on pretty low volume. Career, 35%. And I just think that, like, to do what he's done, 32 a game, 6 and 5, the purgatory he's existed in for the last two years has basically wiped him off the face of the earth as far as notable NBA players. But, like, he's on his way to an all-NBA, all-star season. I just want to – I just hope the Thunder let him play, man. That's all I'm asking for. Just let the guy freaking play.
0: Yeah, at the rate he's going, he's going to get all all the accolades. It, it's a question, like you said, whether they play him. The, the thing about SGA that's just the most impressive is he's the, he's on the opponent's scouting report every night. Who else are they guarding? Are they worried about Poku? No. I mean, Giddy's a good player, but he's not you know he's not lighting you up. No, um, it's it's just amazing the fact that every scouting report is going to be geared towards him, and he's still putting up these kinds of numbers with no shooting, like real advantage in terms of a three point shot or you know a good jumper. It's amazing, man. I I I had ridden off and I've written off SGA, but I always thought that Fox is better and you know SGA is whatever. He's doing an OKC. Okay. I think this year has completely changed my opinion of him. Um, just what he could be and the value he has to a team. And the only hope is that we get to see that in a situation where winning starts to actually take a priority. I will say this he is does benefit from the fact that you know he doesn't have the pressure of of being on a bad team like when we look at devin booker on the suns or fox on the crappy kings whenever they put up big numbers we could always be dismissive of them because it's like they're not winning they're not leading their teams to wins sga has the built-in excuse of the fact that okc's not trying to win so it it enables him to kind of play his game and they're winning right now but you know he can play his game and he'll never have that criticism of not leading them to be a winning team because their team's not built that way. That's
1: so, true, I, but that's true, but what I would say is that when he's played over the last couple of years, they've, they've been, been a good. close to 500 team. So it's kind of one of those situations where it's like, yeah, they have no pressure and he could just play his game and I don't I don't think that that's to be understated, but he also you know, hasn't necessarily been a losing player in that same way that I think Booker was early on. So that's you're the absolutely
0: right. Because even OKC last year, they started off hot and they shut him down, and then the team only shut down in the second half of the season. So, you know, b- but to your point, I, I think um, he's just fun to watch, and it's it's not John Morant who's just barreling to the rim, crazy athleticism. It's like you said, Tony Parker, crafty, um, gets to his spots, and yeah, it's I haven't watched that much OKC, but every time I do watch him, it's he's a lot of fun. Yeah. And dude, I
1: will say um, it's hard to remember, but he's played. This is now his fifth season. He's played in the playoffs two of the four years. Yeah, we always forget right? that. <laughs> First with the Clippers, they were the eighth seed and they lost the Warriors. And then he was on that Chris Paul okay, Oklahoma City team. Remember the three guard lineup that went to the bubble and almost beat the the Harden Westbrook Rockets. And it's funny because the last two years have been just such egregious tanking by OKC and the fucking complement of names that they've rolled out there that it's hard it's hard to remember that, that he actually has playoff chops, And I think whenever it is that they become good, you know, it's not like he's going to be there for the first time, which I think is important. But let me ask you yep. this quickly. If I said, first of all, is he in, is he on the thunder in a year? What do you say? Yes. Okay. It would be ridiculous to trade him at this point. Right. We agree. I think there's a world in which you could have bowled him over this summer. Frankly, but now he's just, he's playing too well. Like, he's too Mm -hmm. fucking good. Okay. There's no way. Two. Over under 2024, which is next season, basically. How about this? 2025. Are they in the playoffs by 25? So they get this year, they get next year, and then they got to make it the year after.
0: Sure. That's a lot of time. Yeah. But... That being said, I don't agree with the way their approach to anything. I don't at all. Well,
1: at some point, you got, like we
0: talked about, at some point, you got to cash in all these chips. You can't just, just sit diminishing there and be like, returns. Oh, we have 78 There's,
1: first rounders over the next six years. Like it's going to be they, sick. You've already hit the point of
0: diminishing returns. And, and we, like I said, I've said this many times the NBA, you cannot package, it's not the NFL, you can't package four first round picks to move into the top three. It doesn't work that way. If you don't have picks in the top, three, top five. It doesn't matter if you have 30 first round picks. It's great. You keep getting shots, but ultimately stockpiling them is not going to really move the needle after a certain point. So, Yeah, 100%. All right.
1: You are up with your final surprise.
0: Oh, I already went through my three. I had Desmond Bain, so I'll I'll give you a bonus one. Oh, okay.
1: You know what? Just to pour a little bit of salt on the wound, because so you, you're flying a little too high right now. I'm going Tyrese Halliburton. Um, this guy is on pace to be the first player in NBA history to average 20 points, 10 assists, and shoot 40% from three. He's a complete player right now. Um, you know, you look at basically all of the shooting efficiencies there. The facilitation is there. He's playing defense. You know, he's averaging two steals a game, five rebounds. The Pacers are much better than you definitely thought they were going to be. And you tried to give me shit when I said over on the Pacers because Halliburton and Matherin, those guys look like complete studs. And I just think, you know, Halliburton's a guy that, you know, him and Fox maybe being separated unlocked both of them in a way that couldn't have happened if they were both there. But you go back and look at that draft, and that's the one where, you know, Wiseman goes to, Patrick Williams goes four, a goes five freaking Killian Hayes goes seventh. (laughs) Danny Avdia goes ninth. Like Jalen Smith goes 10th. Who are all these players that are either write-offs or not even on their team, original team. And Halliburton sitting there at 12 and you could argue who is the third best prospect behind Ant and and LaMelo. And he was being talked about as such at some points in the draft process before he slipped. So, It's amazing to me. I don't know if it's the funky shot or the fact that he doesn't jump off the page as an athlete, but I just think that like, I love that kid. I love watching him play. Obviously being a JJ Reddick pod fan, you hear him, you like him personally. Like I'm big time rooting for, for Halliburton. I thought, I think he's off to an awesome start. And him and Mather, man, you talk about best backcourts in the league. That could be the answer in a very short amount of time.
0: Mather was actually on my honorable mentions. Um, he popped off during summer league, so it's not completely out there, but the what he's done so far just Off the bench. Off the bench, the volume of of scoring he's putting up has been amazing. Okay, back to Halliburton. Kings fans knew this. We love like I, the weird narrative is that Kings fans, first of all, loved Halliburton. Loved him. And we know all this about him. You talked about what he averaging 20, 10, and 40% three, right? This season. Guess what his numbers were with Fox, without Fox on the floor last year? Uh 18, 10, and 4. Yeah. He was the same player. He's the exact same player. So we knew what he looked like without Fox. And um, you know, to everything he's been amazing. He's a great passer, great shooter. The unorthodox shot works. Um, teammates love to play with him. Yeah, he he's he's just a fun guy to root for. I think that the key thing, though, is this is—we knew this version of him on the Kings. This is not a surprise to Kings fans. Um, the the reality was we had to get rid of one of them, and who's easier to move, Halliburton, and it got us a return that's working out. But that being said, you know Indiana, what you called out about them being, this was a team that was supposed to be really bad, and you're right—they are looking, they're competitive every night, pretty much. They've got some big wins on the schedule already. They're ahead of schedule. Which is great for them, and they've still got a lot of pieces they can move. So, the futures is looking good, definitely with Halliburton. But um, what remains to be seen, though, is, is you know he's not a one A, you know, or a one okay, B. But... He's a number two or number three. So I agree, it all looks good now, but let's see how they build around him. That'll be interesting. Well, he's gonna look pretty damn
1: good next to Victor next year,
0: maybe. Well, not if the they way pull... they're winning right now. They're yeah, not getting. True. Good. I gotta pull
1: the plug on what's going on. Um, all right. Halliburton the other guy I was going to mention you 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 put uh Benedict Matherin on your list which I thought was fair I had Palo as well on mine just because again number one pick it's not it's not surprising he's the best player in the class or anything like that we both liked him we both had him at number one but he's scoring with a professionalism that I did not expect as like a 19 or 20 year old kid on a bad magic team um they're in the best case scenario, man. Freaking dude, Bol Bol. I should have put Bol, Bol on <laughs> this list. I was doing some Bol Bol into research last night. Guys played in fourteen games, averaging twenty four minutes a game. So we're not talking like totally small sample. He's at like thirteen and eight with yeah. ridiculous shooting splits. Like, what is going on? And where did Bol Bol come he, he from? He dropped twenty
0: six against Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I, what are these numbers? Yeah, look at this. 12.6 points, eight rebounds, 62% from the field, 41% from three. Um, Anyway, this is best case scenario for Orlando. All these different dudes are popping in the right way. They have a bunch of like this dead weight with the Jonathan Isaac, Terrence Ross kind of uh, Gary Harris contracts that at some point someone might want or whatever, even if they don't. There's a world in which they add a Scoot Henderson, which would be a dream. Obviously, Victor. They're um, losing, they too. That's card. the best
0: part about it. Yeah. It's, like, it's great. They You've look awesome, and then they and lose every night. <laughs> yeah. They
1: lose. Um, anyway, okay. So Orlando, I just wanted to say I think they're in a really, really good spot. And maybe
0: – yeah, go ahead. I was going to say three years ago, we, we talked about Bulbul, and we, we talked about him like for a good amount on one of our episodes. And then he was a total disappointment. I was like, wow, we were really totally off on that one. Maybe we just need to go in all the
1: Pac-12 guys, right? Because you watch Pac-12, you don't watch anything else. Um, And then I get in on the Pac-12 dudes every now and then when I'm like on FanDuel at like 1 a.m. trying to win my money back for the night. And he was looking really good at Oregon. And then he got hurt, and then he was out. But like those first few games, it was like, this seems kind of unfair. It was like Victor before Victor, you know?
0: That's why I was hiding Matherin, too. I was watching all those Arizona games, and he was... You could tell he had it. Um,
1: Yeah. That also led you to think Derek Williams would be better than Kyrie, but I guess that's uh,
0: yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of
1: Pac-12 busts also that I've
0: got under. Can't get them
1: all. All right. Speaking of busts, I'm gonna lead with this. Yeah. Number one guy on this, I have so many, but number one guy, because I've been in Twitter debates defending this dude, saying he's got a good trajectory, saying he's young and he's 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 scrappy and he wants to go get it, but. I have nothing else to say. This player is terrible. RJ Barrett. Um, ah, that's my first on my list too. Was <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the Denver game last night. He was like one of 182. He's bricking like Jalen Brunson is slicing up the defense, getting him like perfect looks, just perfect wide open threes. Cause nobody's guarding him. And it's just clanking every time. And you know, he signed what, 110 or $120 million contract in the offseason. It's the first guy that the Knicks have extended off their rookie deal since Charlie freaking Ward. And at one point, you're like, you know, we didn't get Zion. We didn't get Ja in that draft, but RJ is a decent third option. He could become a star. He had that one season where he shot the ball well. They were the four seed, you know, the whole MSG was going crazy. It's been a total and utter regression. The shot has abandoned him. He's now down to 26% from three on six attempts a game. Um, Doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything well. And the only reason he scores is because he basically has the green light for whatever he wants. And that's the worst kind of player. And I'm really, really worried if if I'm the Knicks, especially because he was all they needed to include, plus three first to get Donovan Mitchell. You deal with those three first, just given how many picks you have, but they didn't want to include Barrett, and that's going to come back to haunt him in a big way.
0: I had R.J. Barrett top of my list. Uh, it's that, I think what you mentioned at the end is the part that stings the most, because he was the blocker to them potentially getting Donovan Mitchell. Um, now, obviously hindsight's 20-20, but Donovan Mitchell looks every worth the price point, you know? I think in and RJ Barrett, man, like the shooting, he's always been an inefficient player. Um, it's disappointing to see that has not changed. He continues to have these just god awful shooting games. His percentages are in the dumps once again, but he's gotten worse as a free throw. He's never been a good free throw shooter. He's gotten even worse this year. He hasn't evolved as a playmaker. So if if you're in your what fourth fourth year fifth year. Um, he's in his fifth year, yeah, because it's the first year. year of the extension. And no, no fourth year, improved, fourth
1: year. This is his fourth year. Fourth year.
0: He hasn't improved any... Like, Okay, look, he's still young. He can become a better player. But he hasn't improved any aspect of his game. And that's worrisome when the franchise is banking on you to be a core piece moving forward. And they've made that clear with the fact that they don't include him in these packages. He is a big face for them, more so than Julius Randle. You know, a Knicks fan's or kind of over Julius Randle at this point. And it's always been about RJ Barrett being that guy to carry the torch and the way he's playing. The Knicks are not doing badly, but they're, they're hamstrung now with that, this contract and hopefully he can figure it out, man. But it's super disappointing because this guy was supposed to take a leap at some point and we still haven't seen it.
1: Well, the other thing that I think is interesting is like he works with Drew Hanlon in the off season. Who's notorious for like really taking his clients, one on one games to the next level. Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, like all those dudes have gotten better under under Hanlon. He's gotten worse and he can't break anyone down because he cannot shoot. He's even struggling to finish at the rim. I dude, I was looking at his shot chart from every he it was basically red in every single yeah. I saw on uh, region except <laughs> under the rim was average or like whatever, slightly below average. It wasn't glaringly red. It was like a nice little like rose color. So that's what we have to deal with. I thought Randall has actually played a little bit better this season from last year, which was semi disaster. And Brunson's been a good addition for this team. And so you just think about what it could have looked like with Mitchell. Um, And I don't know, like, you know what I kind of think they should do. They should just go get Westbrook for Randall Barrett. I I don't even know if Barrett's eligible, but at least Randall, Fournier, Rose, and trade for one of those picks. At least one. Because then they get Russ off the cap sheet. They can try to go be a player in free agency. Because right now, I don't know how they're going to get good because they're just not good enough. And now they have this like semi-potential albatross contract that hasn't even kicked in.
0: That might be the smart move to do. I just don't think the Knicks as a franchise are going to buy into that. I think... If you know they've they've settled in on this being a, a key piece of their core and i, I think they're going to realize too late before they change up trajectory yeah
1: so it's uh it's interesting because we were talking about how they're the, the it's funny how the knicks are the like the the, the sort of non controversial like played safe while the nets are absolutely imploding on a nightly basis <laughs> yeah. yet the downside of that is that you're just not very fun and exciting and you don't have anything to be you know any prospects to sort of get after. Like freaking Quentin Grimes was the guy they were trying to hold off in all these deals as well. And he doesn't even play. If anything, Cam Reddish is the one that looks decent more than anyone else of these young players. So I don't know. I don't know where they go from here. I just I can't imagine Tibbs has very long also. Yeah. Great. All right. Who's your
0: first disappointment? So mine was RJ Barrett. Um oh, yeah so I mean, get after up, that. I'll move to the next one. Jordan Poole. Yes, on my has, list is uh you know his shooting percentages are down. He's now 33% from 3, 43% from the field. Um and I think the reason it's disappointing is everything was primed for him to have this really breakout season. The Warriors picked him over Draymond. They made it clear where as a franchise they were headed. The torch is was slowly being handed over. Uh, and pool, you know, pools. he started for much of the season last year and they were thriving with him, especially early in the season with him starting in place of Clay uh, came off the bench again eventually. But um, I think the biggest disappointment has been that he's just so inconsistent. Now, granted, that's Poole's game, but he's had three games this year under seven points. And I think the Warriors are at a point where given where Clay's at, given some of the other struggles they're having from their bench, they need more from Pool on a consistent basis, and he still runs hot and cold, and is still, you know, I don't know. I think the org has higher expectations of him, um, and he's very much a streaky. When things are going well, they're going well. Pool's making shots. He's yapping this, but then when it's bad, it looks really bad. Yeah, and it's clear that this team needs him a lot more than they did these past couple or last season especially um given that their defense is not the same given they don't have some of these other pieces that they had last year Otto Porter, Gary Payton uh and so to me I think he hasn't been terrible but still disappointing when when Poole makes a nice
1: play it is one of the most mesmerizing things to watch right no oh, yeah. just the the balance the footwork the the sort of just the the I don't know, the way he's able to fake guys out. The whole package is beautiful, right? I think it's in—it's it, weirdly convoluting our ability to see what he's actually like as a player and all the deficiencies. Like, you remember last year against Boston, he couldn't play, right? Um, Boston was just putting him in every switch and they were just terrorizing him. He didn't play a lot in that series. And as the playoffs went along, he was starting to play less and less from round one versus Denver when they just both raced him and it didn't matter. Um, Pool was on my list as well. I mean, if you look at the golden state situation, it's hard to do what golden state's doing, which is be this bad. When Steph Curry is putting up these numbers, he is 32 points per game on a 70% true shooting. Like that is reserved for like the Rudy go bears and Clint Capella's of the world. And this dude's taken like 12 threes a game. It is dumbfounding. Um, I don't even know what to say. How is he playing his best basketball in year you know, 14 at age 34, I don't, I will never understand it, but nonetheless, he's getting no help. Clay's bad. Dre's bad. Wiggins has actually played well to his credit, but then the bench starting with pool have been total disasters. And if you look at every version of the Warriors lineup data, that isn't their starting lineup, they're getting crushed, right? Their starting lineup is still one of the best in the league. When you look at net rating, I think they're plus 23 per hundred possessions and everyone else, meaning not just the bench unit, even if you sub pool for Clay, if you sub, you know, uh, Wiseman or Kuminga for Draymond, whatever it is, they're all getting smoked, and it's a big, big problem. And I think, you know, you give Pool that kind of money, he goes from nice sixth man to like, you better fucking be consistent, because that's ultimately what is the difference between a good player and a great player is consistency. And I think they had to take care of him. I don't think there's a player you could lose. But this is probably also some of the reason he slipped to the end of round one, right? Where he's very, very inconsistent, but when it looks good, it looks great. And when it looks bad, it's not like he's doing a lot on the floor to help you. Um, And I think that's something he's going to absolutely have to get uh, better at over the season. I don't know if it's just new contract. I don't know if it's like a little bit too much fun over the summer after celebrating a title, whatever it is. I don't know if it's the punch, right? Where he doesn't trust being on the floor because he just got sucker punched to start this year. I don't think we can ignore that. So... Whatever it is, there's a lot uh, of improvement, not just from him, but from that overall anyone you know that whole bench unit in Golden State. Because what they're six and nine and wasting the best 15 game stretch of Steph Curry's career. It's
0: unreal. It's absolutely unreal what Steph's doing, and it's just it doesn't matter. Like that is is crazy for a team that just won the championship. It's one thing when he did this in the year where uh, Clay was out. Dre was out for a while, right? Like, um, what was it Twenty, twenty, 20,
1: 20, 20 Yeah, and yeah. he just had to like carry the load, right? Yeah,
0: and, and then it makes sense, right? But this team is is too good on paper, at least to to give away those performances. And and you can blame Clay, but Clay at the same time, look, he's he's been bad. His it's not just that he's struggling; it's the shot selection, it's the decision making. But at a certain point, you need someone to step up, and you hope the 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 man you just gave all the money bags to will be that guy but the, you're right that that's where you start to think maybe end of the first round this is a guy whose ceiling's a little bit more limited than maybe we thought or maybe it just takes some more time we don't know yet but right now it's been a little disappointing
1: yeah and i look it's far from a crisis area or anything like that right it's still very very early there's gonna be the malaise of like we just won the title you want us to go through the regular season again like yeah. And this team, the core has been around a while, even if the young guys haven't. And some of that's pervasive through the way you practice, all that kind of stuff, because the veterans probably do want more rest. And so I think there's a lot of room to go. And there's they've been really bad. I think they're winless on the road. I think they're actually 0-7 on the road right now. And so if they can clean some of that up. Remember, they're one of the historically best road teams of all time uh, because Steph can just shoot the lights out and take your crowd right out of the game. and. I think that'll end up coming back. They just got to figure out a little bit more continuity. And the elephant in the room is like, should they be looking at a Draymond trade? Should they be looking at a clay trade? Right. Because those pieces are the ones that are, maybe are holding them back to some degree. And I don't know. I don't know what the market is for him, but I think at least Draymond, like from a cultural element, he might not have that same uh, zeal. He might not have that same like ownership of the locker room with, after what he did.
0: Yeah. It could be a crisis of leadership. Um, all I right. think the biggest I'm, problem, though, is they lost Mike Brown. Just saying. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was, you know. Honestly. Is it Mike Brown? Is it Gary
1: Payton? second? Who who could say? <laughs> um, all right. Who do you got? I went with the grab bag. You get to pick, actually. Is it Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, or Anthony Edwards? Because I'm ready to oh. put them all on the list. Like, oh. I hate them all right now. I think the least to blame is Rudy Gobert. Wow. Okay. So I think Towns is the one I'm going with because,
0: yeah, yeah. so go ahead with Towns, but I, I well, definitely I just feel think- like,
1: Carl, you know, Anthony Edwards has the highest ceiling. He's the one that in the playoffs averaging 26 a game. You thought he was going to take the next step. He's still 21. It's year three. If he's not like a bonafide polished superstar at this stage of his career, like he can still figure it out. To me, it's like, dude, Towns. I've defended him for a long time because the offensive game is just so incredible, so efficient, never seen before from the player of his size. But at what point is it going to be put up or shut up time with this guy, right? Like, I'm tired of hearing about him calling other people out. I'm tired of hearing about, oh, he didn't get back on defense here, or he didn't box this guy out here, or you know, he 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 fouled out here because he was playing too aggressive, not playing smart football. Like, there needs to be more accountability for a player in what year. Uh, eight right Um, who just signed a super max deal who is the face of the franchise number one pick he's won three playoff games in his whole career and how is a team with carl anthony towns and rudy gobert one of the worst rebounding teams in the league just like they were last year before they added the nba's best rebounder like those are the kind of things that i think at some point have to be about like desire and care and effort and like just having some fucking pride, and I just feel like as much as I've defended towns, I've never seen that from him, and I don't know if he has it in him. It's it's hard to say.
0: I agree, I agree. I so here here's let me before we get to towns, I'll tell you why I don't think it's Rudy Gobert or Anthony Edwards. Rudy Gobert, you know who he is. He's over. He's past his prime. You know that he's still pretty good defensively. He's not giving you much on offense. We knew who he was, and Ant. Has been disappointing, but at the same time, he's young. I think he can figure it out. This We've been on this journey with Cat. His leadership has been questioned already. His ability to assimilate with these different kinds of players is in question. And with Rudy Gobert, like, you know, when Dwayne Wade and LeBron James got together, now this it's insane to compare these guys to <laughs> Dwayne and LeBron. But Dwayne Wade, think about it, right? He's a face of that franchise, like Towns is. There is conflict between the way he, him, and LeBron play together, yep. just like there is with Rudy and Cat in terms of them being in the, the big men. You have to adjust, you have to get through, and you have to kind of play that role and and, and step back for the team to succeed. And it's still possible for Minnesota to do this, but everything we've seen from Cat so far in this, his career, I think the start to the season just makes me feel like it hasn't changed. It hasn't clicked in his head, and he he's just not a player that. I don't think you can rely on. I don't think he's good enough to, to find a way to make this work. And, you know, Minnesota will figure it out and be a playoff team and that's fine. But I don't think you can put the blame on Rudy. I don't think you can put the blame on Ant, given how young he is. I think it all starts with cat. Like you said. Um,
1: Yeah. And I mean, cat's been there the longest. He's the one that I think has been the, the, the guy that I think a lot of people have expected to be the fulcrum of everything they do. Now that they expected Ant to be that guy. So, in some senses it's like maybe they both are to blame maybe they both have that same immaturity trait but it's just so bizarre to me because this isn't a team like the Lob City Clippers who were bad or great every year and always fell short they were only good for one year and they lost in round one like why do they have this entitlement attitude like they did something last year it's really and or have done something for like seven years and now they're just exhausted like it's very strange yeah. to me. Um, maybe part of it is that Gobert is generally a disrespected and somewhat disliked player around the league, and that's compounded matters. I really trust Chris Finch. Like we know you do. And I'm surprised they haven't run a little bit more like spread, pick, and roll, tried to get Ant and Gobert in that action, Towns on the edge, you know, Russell. I mean, big part of this is Russell has been He's a been disaster. He's just- been disaster he's not good enough to have been on this list
0: but he should be maybe he's the leading charge they always win in spite of him i think that's been the case last couple years and he'll every every now and then he'll have a good game that makes you think oh maybe he's not the you know that big of a problem but
1: so what do you do do you um do you go get like a mike conley instead like what happens
0: I don't know, man. I th- I think you try, but I don't think I don't think Russell's gonna solve all your issues, right? I think the other problem they have is depth. They gave up a lot of depth that they had. This team was so good last year. They're a lot like the Kings this year in that one of the reasons they're such a successful team is that their second unit, their you know Pat Bev, as much as he's a meme, that was one of the strengths of their team. They lost a lot of that depth because of the trade, because of who they gave up, and. Their first starting lineup isn't even that dominant either. So, I think part of it is depth. You can you can switch out D'Angelo, get a Conley in there, but I think they got bigger problems than that.
1: Well, I kind of feel like you know, given how much insane draft capital they gave up, the least Utah could do is take on Russell's contract as part of it. It almost feels like they intentionally kept Russell because they wanted him in the core versus sending him out in that deal and keeping some of that depth including a guy like Patrick Beverly who maybe would have been a better fit around these guys who are low usage defensive first leadership guy that they absolutely don't have right now. So, I think I mean, Kyle it, Anderson it, it, is currently the
0: leader. You you convince yourself that hey, this team was good last year. Why shake the, you know, shake it up too much by getting rid of D'Angelo? Let's just build on top of that. Right. Which is a mistake. Right. Exactly. Um,
1: All right, your last
0: I got one, one. more and yeah. you're going to, you're going to, are you sitting in your chair? It's LeBron it James. Be- oh, wow. Now. Okay. okay. I need to preface this. Cause I think this is me. It's being harsh. Cause you know, it's year 20. He's still putting up 25, nine and seven, um, which is insane. And I don't care if you say it's empty stats, this and that. I don't know who a year 20 with his mileage. It's insane. It's insane. Um, but you know what, here's where I'm going to criticize LeBron. Um, First of all, he's had a hat. he's had a hand in how this team was built. And um, you know, I mean it's Palenka's problem too. It's not all in LeBron, but the only way they were gonna be good this year, um, they're gonna bounce back this year is if him and Anthony Davis were dominant. He understood that, the team understood that, and Westbrook to some extent rebounds. His shooting has fallen off a cliff. An absolute cliff. His free throw attempts have taken a nosedive. And that, to me, is the biggest sign that the decline is happening. He's not getting to the rim anymore. And and it seems like the last couple of years, he's been getting to the rim maybe a little bit less. But really, this is the year where the drop-off has been significant. And the shooting cannot compensate. Every now and then, he's still hot from three in past years. But this year, he's been ice cold in a lot of these games. He's only shot above 50% in a handful of games. Um, he's been more engaged defensively, at least from what I've seen. Laker fans would be like, I've seen every possession, he still takes things off, whatever. But um, I just think that they're in a position that they need a lot more from him. It sucks, year 20, but they need more from him to be competitive. And I just don't think he's giving it to them. He's now injured. Uh and I'm a big LeBron fan, and I think a lot of it can be excused because of the fact that he is this old and this late in his career. But even then, I think he has high standards for himself, and he could be playing better. So, he's on my list.
1: To ask you a tangential question: You blame LeBron more than you blame AD.
0: Well, no, I mean AD. At the end of the day, this team was only going to go as well as AD is, and AD's still. Not Have you who seen the numbers? Have you seen AD's numbers? What are they right now?
1: Give them to me. He's averaging twenty-four and eleven. He's shooting 55% from the field. His plus minus is very, uh, let me pull up what his plus minus is. on off. He is plus 14 when he's on the court offensively and they're 9.8 points worse when he's on the court, but net rating is plus 4.3. So he's a positive player. Um, all the advanced numbers, the raw numbers look technically good. When you watch them, you certainly feel like something's missing. But
0: I, yeah, I, you know, it's still too easy to get him off his spot. So one against the Kings, he had a really good game against the Kings when we played him last. And they were competitive in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I noticed, though, is that he will still settle. I mean, you know, there are mismatches. He had Kevin Herter on him. He doesn't take advantage of those if he's already out. Uh, at the elbow, he'll settle for that jumper. He's already made up his mind. So as good as he's been, I still think that he doesn't play the way. I don't know. He's just not that that, you know, you see guys like Embiid. You see, and, and, and I know Anthony Davis has never been that type of player, but he never imposes his will in a way that really impresses me. That being said, he's been playing well. That's why I'm putting LeBron on this list. I think Westbrook has played better, um, you know, as coming off the bench ad has played good enough at some point lebron has to step up as well and he hasn't done it so all those points taken so that's why i think lebron is belongs on this list yeah that is fair i won't i won't criticize
1: i don't think he's playing uh to his standards but again year 20 it's also hard like this is somewhat of a maybe the paradox of lebron where he's opens himself up to criticism just Given his greatness, right? That's kind of the, yep. where where we lands with it. But all right, my last guy. Um, I'm not gonna do this to 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 Ben Simmons, right? Like I can't. Like there's just nothing. I mean, it would be like the ultimate definition of kicking a man when he's when he's down. Um, I'm going Kawhi. Oh,
0: and look at us taking shots at our heroes. Look at us. This is
1: not a. Well, if I said Durant, then then things would have really popped off. But Durant's playing awesome.
0: Uh, this is not to say whoa, that you can't get hurt. Whoa, whoa. Durant has been so disappointing, but I think it's been covered. Not because of his play what on the court. What do you mean? What do you want not the guy to do? Not because of his play on the court. His leadership. But anyways, let's leave that for a separate conversation. His leadership, I, man.
1: I just think like with Durant, yeah, the leadership piece, which – He's never been a good leader. He just chose... Really, you should criticize him for... You should criticize him this year for 2019, which is hitching himself to the Kyrie uh, wagon. You can't do it now. But nonetheless, all right. Um, The the issue, I think, with Kawhi is that... And again, he could be truly hurt, whatever. He's actually playing tonight. He's starting tonight. The game's about to kick off, and I know we're going to get going here so you can watch your beloved Kings versus Spurs, but he's effectively like become a complete part-time player and it's really dangerous to try to plan anything around him moving forward. And this is a guy who's on a max deal who orchestrated all those picks to be traded to the, uh, the Thunder for Paul George, who when he plays, he's still dominant, but chooses to play. It's such a rare clip that it's almost impossible. Like I said, to, to, to predict or structure anything around him. Like, if you go get a guy like John Wall who post Achilles, post all this shit, you're not expecting him to be your second or third best player, right? But when Kawhi is out, there are many nights that he stepped into that role and they lose because guess what? That's not the John Wall that's supposed to exist anymore. And I think it's a really, you know, if you're a if you're a Lakers sorry, Clippers fan, you got to be like bewildered because on one hand, you literally made your only conference final in league team history with these two guys. But on the other hand, this is kind of a colossal disappointment at the same run. And I'm not sure if that many Clippers fans exist, but it's such a weird feeling to go through. And I just think it's frustrating. He's the disappointment. And maybe he comes back and in two weeks, this all looks dumb. But for right now, I'm just very annoyed by how much Kawhi discourse exists
0: outside of the court. It's and it's the lack of transparency that bugs me the most. It's like, what is this guy injured with? Why isn't he coming back? Right? Like and maybe why is he so cut- special where he yeah. has to like be have this whole set of rules that doesn't apply to anyone and, else in the whole league? And we saw this in San Antonio towards the end, right? Even the way that whole injury was handled. Um, so I, I agree, I've always been harsher and quiet than most, and I'm glad that it, more people are, are coming to that because you know. Paul George, they gave up a boatload for Paul George, including SGA. You can say that the haul for Paul George was so lopsided, but at the same time, Paul George has been there for the Clippers. He's been playing in these games. He's been pretty good in the playoffs, too, You know where everyone used to criticize him. Kawhi, though, on the other hand, is this is the guy you were literally building your franchise around, and he, we've barely seen him on the court, so... Um, i get it if it's a chronic injury or something but the the way it's been communicated the way it's been handled i think that's just too quiet is how he likes his his camp to run things yep and it's disappointing uh and it's absolutely worth the criticism
1: all right there you have it i think the other guy's on my list i had Zach Levine but i think that's somewhat of this knee injury that's coming up yeah. it's hard to say but it's a little bit concerning given he just signed a 200 million dollar contract i had clay you know i think we already covered him yeah, that was that was like too obvious. Oh, one um, guy I wanted to quickly mention on surprises. Keldon Johnson, 23 yeah. a game for the Spurs, and really stepped up into that first scoring option in an impressive
0: that, the way. The question was, how would he be in that role? And he's been great. And um, they
1: have him on a bargain deal, four for $80 million extension, which is going to look like such a joke under
0: this new cap. But It um, will. Um, a couple of guys I wanted to give a shout out for surprises. I did want to call out Kuzma. Kuzma's been um, good. Porzingis, yeah. Porzingis, but I was like, I don't know Wizards enough. Maybe Nathan will tell me they actually look terrible, but... Kuz is forcing things too much. I think he sees himself like this bonafide star. <laughs> he's feeling himself Yeah,
1: that's the problem. Like, you gotta rein him in every now and then, and I think Porzingis has been the Wizards' best player. Like, even yeah. last night, he was having his way. Granted, Oklahoma said he's was being guarded by Poku for the most part, but he was, he was kind of doing whatever he wanted, and if anything is frustrating, they didn't play him enough. And I think he's got an outside case and an all-star spot seeing how if things mm-hmm. break the right way. So yeah. I'm just putting it out there into the ether right now.
0: KCP too. I wanted X wiz but on the Nuggets, he's been... I mean, he's only averaging Dude, 11, he's so he's not on the world on fire. Though. But he's been 54% resistant. from three. So, he's just... He's automatic.
1: They blew it last like night to the, the Lakers
0: Literally, the Lakers could have had... That's exactly what they need. It's just insane. But...
1: Everything the Lakers have done since the bubble, just, <laughs> it just defies
0: logic, reason. Uh, like All those guys' stocks went up when they left. Kuzma, Caruso, KCP. It's insane. Even, even uh, Horton Tucker, THT, is playing. Like, He's playing decently. better in
1: Utah, yeah. But that's the thing, right?
0: It's not even like
1: those guys, when they left, people were like, oh, that's a good move. We don't expect it to come back and bite them in the ass. People called it at the time. They're like... You need shooting and defense around LeBron and AD. You literally just just won a championship with that formula. Why are you changing? go
0: opposite and get Westbrook. Yeah. opposite of that.
1: Anyway. All right. That is a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We don't know if you can follow us on Twitter anymore after tonight, the way (laughs) things are sounding. But I, I do trust the platform to still be around tomorrow. If it's not, we're still on Instagram. Maybe we got to come back to Facebook or something. Maybe that's the maybe that's the turn for us. Um, start a WhatsApp thread where we just share, share like fake science stories and podcast links. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week.